0: his body onto the ball, now they hack a kick forward, Hawkins with strength, it's just is too big, too strong, and too good at the end. Diggle to
1: Cody, out the back, Cameron one-on-one with Howe, big contest coming up, Jess has got five-
0: Close. Kicks. Is it level? It's level the MCG. Cracking
2: finish. Hello and a welcome to the Cats Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cussworth joined by a full compliment tonight. Anthony Petkovic's with us. Mark Browning's with us. Mark Brunger makes the comeback. Great to have you back on board, Mark Brunger. We've certainly missed your contribution And we're going to start with you because I'm going to say, as we welcome our listeners through Sport FM, who no doubt will be um, enjoying the program, and I trust they will across the course of the next half hour or so, you saw lots to like about Geelong's performance against Port Adelaide. Does that prepare us adequately for what is to come against the Bulldogs on Saturday night, given that you have a bit of Bulldogs flavour in your family?
0: Yes, Wes, good evening to you. Good evening to uh, my fellow panellists and also our listeners. Yes, uh, I'm uh, one of three at the moment uh, after my uh, dear old dad passed away a few years ago and uh, he was the other Geelong supporter in the family and both my mother and my sister are both uh, what would be best described as rabid Western Bulldogs fans and uh, certainly uh, in the Brunga household it'll be uh, an interesting uh, night on Saturday night. But look, I... I I've thought long and hard about making this this statement, and uh, it's one that uh, doesn't come easily. But I just think, gentlemen, that the more I'm watching this season unfold, the more I think that this is becoming Geelong's premiership to lose at this stage, because we seem to be playing some very, very good football. Tactically, we are out uh, out manoeuvring most of the opposition teams that we play, and yes. Last Saturday, uh, Port Adelaide did have a, a red-hot go in the third quarter, but their season was on the line, so you've got to expect that that they were going to put in a big effort. But I just think the fact that we were able to steady and defeat them shows the sign that, uh, that this is a really mature team. The game plan is is working beautifully at the moment. We are uh, blessed with a game plan that sees us pushing forward at, at all occasions rather than chipping around in the back line. And... And I just think that uh, this is ours to lose this year, boys.
3: I think that's called a kiss of death, isn't it? Is that what that's called? Yep. Our, ours to lose. Well, we uh, the game plan, you're right, they've been playing great. But um, don't have you heard, Mark, of the lid that you're supposed to keep on these things? I think in 2007 the lid didn't come off, according to Tim Lane, until we were, Geelong was over 50 points ahead in the grand final. I'm keeping my lid on until... Some such equivalent time, especially as you know, a few little glitches in terms of the lineup. Rhys Stanley will be missed in the medium term, don't you think, Alex? Anthony? Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Anthony? That's uh, his brother.
1: <laughs> I think you're right because when when Stanley vacated the field on uh, Saturday evening, um, Geelong structurally just started to fall apart a little bit. Um, it meant Blixsetz had to go into a different role. It meant uh, Young Neil had to step up to a, probably a level that he's not ready for yet. He, I don't think he's a ruckman at AFL level yet. More, more a sort of a, a key forward and a part timer in the ruck. And structurally Geelong, Geelong struggled a bit there for a while, but they righted the ship pretty quickly once they had that opportunity to reset at three quarter time break. Um, but the thing that impressed me the most was the fact that. Port Adelaide was a team with absolutely everything on the line. They had to win. They were running over the top of Geelong in the third quarter. Geelong could have quite easily have said mentally, physically, it's not our night, but they dug in. They really, really dug in. And some of the desperation in that last quarter shown by several Geelong players, including uh, the next number 14, Tommy Atkins, um, was just just uh, some amazing stuff. Uh, Danger field throwing himself at the football uh, sometimes recklessly. Um, Selwood of course was in up to his ears in it uh, and, and players all over the field making uh, supreme sacrifices. Cam Guthrie, uh, Jeremy Cameron. Um, it was just a, just a terrific terrific win in uh, adverse, Circumstances in hostile territory against a really keyed up opposition. So well done, Geelong. Well done, Chris Scott. So, do
0: you think that the the likely scenario is that Jonathan Segler will come into that lineup now to to replace uh, to replace uh, 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 Stewart uh, to replace um, Stanley, uh, being a, a career ruckman? Segler, really. Um, I don't think Asava Radigalia is the answer. Um, I don't think I know what the question is to what is Sabah Radiculia's role. I don't really know the answer to that question, but I think Segler looks the likely, uh, the likely man to, to come into the side, I would think.
3: Is it mix and match time? They use Neil a bit. They use Segler a bit. Um, obviously, Blitzar's in and out. Uh, do, they, do they just try and pad it out? With guys to get them through the games, and maybe even by the time they get to the finals, have a few backup ideas um, to Matt, you know, you know, for Reece Stanley to come back in. Because you know the, the the other problem with Reece Stanley's medium term injury is that sometimes coming back from injury, he loses a bit of confidence, and his confidence can be a lot have a, a long term injury, which is happening at the wrong time. I'm not saying it's the end of the cats, but um, yeah, him being in form as well was crucial to the overall structure of the team.
0: I just yeah, I just Austin. wonder, uh, Anthony, whether uh, whether Jonathan Segler could become the next Brad Ottens.
1: <laughs> yes, it's one of those things, isn't it? You bob up around finals time. There was a Brisbane Ruckman, Clark Keating, who used to bob up around late August, September. He'd be kept in mothballs and cotton wool until then, and all of a sudden he'd reappear and and take the final scene by storm, as as Brad Ottens did in two thousand and nine. Missed twenty weeks with a medium term injury. I remember Neil Barm kept saying when will uh, when asked when will Ottens be back, he kept saying two weeks. He said that ten times. <laughs> so, but uh, I think the secret for Geelong is is the the partnership with Blixavs in the ruck because Stanley. Um, was was a player who could play multiple positions. He could rest up forward. Occasionally, he pushed out onto the wing. He could push behind the ball. Segler is more of a one-position player. Just a stock standard Ruckman. He's not a goal kicker. He's not a he's not a forward type. Um, I would be inclined to go with someone who could play uh, in partnership with Blixabs um, as opposed to someone who would have to spend the bulk of his time playing in the ruck. So uh, it's a bit of a dilemma for Geelong, but uh, certainly they've got to take a look at Segler at some stage. And four weeks out from finals is probably fortuitous for him, but he's he's underdone. He's only played two games all year. Um, he missed a big chunk of the pre-season with a broken foot. Um, he's only just come into play at 16 possessions and 23 possessions in his uh, two games. So uh, time might be uh, a factor for him.
2: Well, lads, uh, we all love a milestone, and there's. Um, it's been the conversation this week, hasn't it, the milestones, and I'll go to Mark Browning now. Um, Sam North East, 410 not out for Glamorgan against Leicestershire. That was a milestone uh, worth noting. Before we talk about Joel Selwood's 350 and Tom Hawkins'
3: 300. Uh, yeah, that's a fantastic effort, Wes. Uh, did you sit up and watch uh, the feed of the uh, of the Welsh boys? knocking over Leicestershire. I, I said to you it was a statistical anomaly no more and <laughs> it was a boring game of cricket. And then I woke up the next morning and found that Glamorgan had got up and won a, a famous victory. So congratulations to him. As far as Joel Salwood goes, you know, he's probably up there with the best Geelong players of all time if you talk about consistency over a long career. And um, when I dig out my... DVD of the 2007 Grand Final, and I see him running around. With and Travis spoke, of course, but you just go, my goodness, that's 15 years ago, and uh, he's he's still a proper player. He's not just being carried because he's Joel Selwood. He's still a proper player. What what a fantastic achievement! How far how far can he go, guys? Is he got a couple of years left in him? And you like like Sam Northeast? He will make 400. Is he any chance?
0: Uh, not for me i don't i don't think he'll make 400 um i pretty much thought earlier this year that this might be might be Joel's last season and particularly if if the cats do go all the way and 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 make it to the uh, to the stage on that uh, last day in september i think that that would be a pretty nice finish to his career to go out as a premiership captain and 350 plus games. I just wonder whether there's enough juice left in in Joel's tank. He's gone at 110 kilometres an hour for the majority of those 350 games, and I just wonder whether there's enough juice in the tank. I'd like to see him go around for another year, but only if he keeps the same level of football, because there's nothing worse than seeing a champion of the game hang around for just a little bit too long to eke out one more season.
1: Yeah, I feel a bit the same way. I'd like him to go with he's still got a little bit left in the tank. Um, but he's earned the right to make that decision for himself. We've done that with some of our champions of the past who may have gone on a year or two too long. Nan uh, Nankurva springs to mind. Uh, Gary Hocking definitely. Um, but I like to see the champs decide when they when they are ready to go. It'd be interesting if we transported ourselves back into our school days, guys. When um, whenever you were picking sporting teams and you lined up all the relevant participants in a in a row and the two two coaches or captains would would alternate picks i wonder if you lined up all the geelong greats um and joel selwood is definitely in that uh, where he would be picked in that sort of a scenario who would you take first would it be polly farmer would it be gary ablett senior would it be gary ablett junior would it be joel selwood there's a whole host of players there who would be putting their hand up for that number one nomination post and um all I know is Selwood would definitely be in the in the first four or five or six, most definitely.
2: I want to stick with you, Super Coach. Obviously, uh, leading the Sacred Heart Girls team to extraordinary success in women's football here in Victoria. I know that probably won't really resonate necessarily with our Perth listeners, but it's an outstanding achievement for those that are listening. Obviously, the AFLW is only really um, a month or so away. Uh, a ten-round competition, eighteen mm-hmm. teams. Anthony, it's got to be pleasing well, to see, or are we diluting the pool?
1: Uh, I think we are. We're gonna we're gonna take a hit to start with. Uh, that's just the way it is. The the, the pool is uh, there's only certain amount of top level talent. Um, it's growing all the time. There's uh, a lot of uh, very very good players now who uh, have gone through the OzKick program, then into junior football, then into representative football, um, and and then making that step through uh, either VFLW or AFLW. So that's that. The pathway is working beautifully, but 18 teams is a stretch. Uh, there will be some very good teams. There will be some very poor teams. Um, I expect Geelong Girls to be in the latter, women to be in the latter. Unfortunately. Um, and of course, there's been a lot of uh, club hopping during the off-season with the new clubs cashed up and, and ready to uh, to pay out for uh, top-level talent, uh, taking them away from existing clubs. Carlton have been very, very hard hit. Uh, seven of their best 10 players, you could arguably say, have, have left for greener pastures. But um, there will be some exciting football, and uh, I, I think that... Um, we might take a hit in the coming few years, but uh, women's football is alive and well and uh, will attract a very good following in their new time slot. So do you think that
0: uh, the smart money at the moment is on uh, Port Adelaide with, uh, of course, Erin Phillips being recruited over there in the in the off-season? She obviously will take uh, a few players with her, no doubt. So is that is that where the smart money would be at this stage of
1: the year? Yeah, you'd think so. Um it's it's hard to gauge the, the 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 bottom half of teams i suppose uh, some talent some teams will drop away in talent quite significantly um but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this particular season plays out but i think the advantage for women's football now will will be once once the afl men finish the aflw women will be in full swing in that period where nothing is happening unless you're into horse racing um and I think it'll be a a go-to sport for many people still wanting their footy fix um, rather than having to uh, wait ponderously for the cricket season to begin and the horse racing rubbish to stop.
0: Oh! (laughs) I'm I'm not sure I like that comment too much, Anthony Peckovic. I'm one of the uh, the, the followers of the the rubbish horse racing. (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey Mark, I, uh, I know that you're also a, a basketball aficionado and we know the success of the Tasmanian jack jumpers and we know that throughout the course of their successful maiden NBL season there were comparisons being drawn constantly with regard to okay, well now it's time for the AFL but what is going on with the hurdles that seem to be mounting in front of Tasmania's quest for an AFL team?
0: Uh, It befuddles me that that all the talk at the moment is about who's going to pay for the bloody stadium I mean really, uh, they're they're not going to be drawing crowds of 30 or 40,000 just yet So I think that the Blundstone Arena is still a perfectly fine place for them to find their feet uh, As an AFL club and start off at somewhere like that let's get the team right before we worry about the ground and the facilities and all that sort of stuff let's get them up let's get them running let's get them sorted out let's get some good backing behind them let's give them some some good facilities and uh, a competitive list and and give them a chance to survive. We can worry about the stadium in the next five to 10 years and the the AFL and the state government over there can sort that stuff out. But at the end of the day, that shouldn't be the reason why or why not that Tasmania should not get its own AFL team. And if it does come down to that, well, then once again, the AFL needs to get the long mirrors out and have a good, hard look at themselves because that's not really grounds for denying uh, Tasmania, which is a blue blood football state, from getting a uh, from getting a team, because we all remember what the Brisbane Bears played out of at Carrara, we all remember what Greater Western Sydney went to when they first arrived in Sydney. So really, they didn't have a proper ground either. So what's the brouhaha all about? I say. Yeah, it seems to be yeah. something. I think,
3: think it got on. I think you're spot on, Mark, because uh, uh, they the ground the ground will look after itself. and And uh, I saw a, a artist's impression of the new stadium with a roof at Macquarie Point on the edge of the Derwent. There, which sounds like a lovely spot. I'm not sure how whether they're going to put any heating in there for August, yeah. July, and August. But um, and I'm, I'm, a roof again. I'm not a fan of the roof at Marvel, so. Yeah, look, get the thing going for sure. Um, just the, the argument is, is it, uh, isn't it over the funding and who's paying for it? So who paid for the stadium at Carrara and um, where GWS play now? Who, who, who coughed up that dough? Was that the AFL or was it the state governments? No. Where does it Tell me where that came from.
1: The AFL love for the, the public, the taxpayer, through the state governments and to pay for stadiums. There's no doubt about that. Um it's uh, something incidentally that the stadium wasn't mentioned as part of the feasibility study that Colin Carter did and released last year. Uh, it seems to be something that's been invented along the way. Um, and it's it's not fair for the for the state government of Tasmania and, and taxpayers in Tasmania to be footing the, the full bill for all of this sort of stuff. They've got two perfectly good stadiums there, one in Hobart, one in Launceston, Uh, It's the least of their worries, Um, but the AFL seem determined to wangle yet another stadium out of the taxpayer um, and not put their own money hand in their pocket um, up front themselves. It's a a shame you get a feeling where this is heading um, and a sinking feeling as to where this is heading and it, it might not look good for Tasmanian football.
0: And I think, uh, Mark Browning, the uh, GWS ground uh, in in uh, Homebush, I think is uh, being benefacted by the fact that uh, the Sydney showgrounds moved their facilities out to Homebush there. And the, the oval that GWS uses is actually part of the Agricultural Society's um, facilities out there at Homebush. So I would suggest that the taxpayer of New South Wales has paid for uh, GWS's stadium.
2: Now, keep in, mind, um, keep in mind, lads, the fact that um, a lot is made of GWS playing games at Monica Oval, of course. Um, now, in Tasmania, we look to Launceston, York Park, UTAS Stadium. Capacity, 21,000. We look to Blunston Arena in Hobart, 20,000. Would anyone care to have a guess as to the capacity of Monica Oval in Canberra?
0: About 20,000?
2: 13,000. Fifteen to twenty thousand, yeah, yeah, thirteen, thirteen and a half thousand. So it's it's a ridiculous comment, and Anthony's spot on. And I think that's quite evident in some of the literature that uh, some of us have been reading of late. Is the AFL is very, very good at making the um, state government, and we know that the state government money is still contingent upon Australian population taxes. Um, but the the respective state governments actually forking out the money for some of these stadiums. So the AFL, they They do well,
1: don't they? They do. It's a special little expertise they have. And, uh, you know, uh, Greater Western Sydney, I I dare say that none of their players are ratepayers in Greater Western Sydney. Mm.
3: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a good move that uh, GWS did go out near the showgrounds, though, because I I understand that uh, half their members are pigs, cows and sheep that turn up at the Sydney Agricultural Show every year but never actually go to any of the games. (laughs)
2: <laughs> All right, let's uh, turn our attention to uh, what Anthony wants to talk about, which is an amazing round of nine, round 19 of football to come.
1: Oh, absolutely sensational round last round. Um, we had those back-to-back games, uh, Geelong and Port Adelaide, uh, Saturday evening, then Saturday night, the Western Bulldogs in Melbourne, and both of those games went down to the wire and were just superb back-to-back games television for the hard for the um for the connoisseur of football and then of course on Sunday we had the uh, Collingwood Essendon game where Collingwood literally waited to the the very last moment uh to smat, uh, snatch a memorable victory um when an eston player from a set shot hit the post um the Essendon were guilty of hubris they were lining up to uh jump all over their goal-kicking hero. Um, When he hit the post, the ball came back into play. Collingwood played uh, straight, brought it straight back into play, um, shot through the gate, and uh, somehow Jamie Elliott took a mark in between uh, two Eston opponents on the boundary line, went back and slotted one of the goals of the season. So it was um, great television uh, and would have even been better to have been there. Yeah, I
0: think I think AFL football is in really really good shape at the moment. Like in general, the 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 amount of close games, the amount of entertaining games, are much more increased this year compared to previous years. I, I just wonder whether there's been a, a general discussion at the AFL House to say you know what, we need bums on seats because of the last couple of years with COVID and whatever has happened. So we need to start making the football uh, a really exciting brand of football to bring the fans back. And, you know, we've seen it all now. We've seen lots of high-scoring games. We've seen fast-flowing games. We're not seeing these defensive kick-arounds in the back line that we've seen in the past. And uh, most teams are attacking. They're trying to get the ball back into the centre of the ground and attack uh, and try and kick goals. And I I just – I can't remember a season like this where it's been more attacking um, for quite some time. And I'm thoroughly enjoying most of the games every weekend.
3: I thought Friday night's game was a bit dire, actually. The the draw, seven goals, ten each under the roof. But you guys are right about the rest of the round. And I happened to go to the MCG Sunday afternoon on a whim and, again, was just totally wrapped up in a fantastic sporting event. Um, I just don't know how this and didn't block off the ball yes. getting out when the, the, the kick-in. Um, what they did, Collingwood do, do though, Mark, and, they you know, it's been successful. A It feels a little bit like the Geelong Hawthorne-Kennett curse, being wrapped up in one season. They're just winning after the siren all the time. But they do, do use the two uh, young Dacos fellows on the wings. They've got a lot of leg speed and they scored a couple of goals from Essendon points. So when Geelong, if Geelong meet Collingwood in finals, that's something they're going to have to watch out for because they do move the ball very quickly around the boundary by using the leg speed and the skills of the two Dacos boys. So yeah, just something to keep in mind. Um, be interesting to see what uh, how people are treating Jack and by that particular yeah. time of the season as well. Will you be allowed to kick him in the head and still not <laughs> he still won't get a free kick because the poor guy I don't like him, I don't, don't like Collingwood, but it's getting to be ludicrous, isn't it?
1: It is the decision on uh, Sunday and mm. the very soft, soft condemnation from the AFLW that he somehow contributed to having his head ripped off. Um, like I said last week on uh, two issues in related to this, Once, one is um, there's nowhere in the rules that states the player has to make it easy for someone to tackle them. Uh, evading tackles is, is part of the game. Um, we should always be protecting the player with the ball and should have the right of way over the tackler and the, the umpires are playing or not playing the man um or they're, they're playing the man instead of the game umpiring the man instead of the game forget about who it is with the ball forget about the past just judge the situation that players are in um and that matt stevic would make such a mistake Uh, gives an example of the mentality of the umpiring fraternity around this particular issue, and it's got to stop. For the good of the game, it's got to stop.
2: Now, I want to ask you, gents, for the benefit of our Perth listeners who will be very interested in your opinions, without going into all of the games that are coming up over the weekend to come, which there are some terrific contests, let's talk about Friday's Dockers versus Melbourne game, the Dockers needing to win to re-enter the top four, and Melbourne, obviously, will be continuing to hunt that top spot. So how is this one going to pan out? Mark Runger
0: Yeah, look, I, I think free are in the box seat in this one. They did defeat Melbourne earlier in the season when Melbourne were having another little uh, off patch in in their form. I'm, I'm just wondering whether there's the same degree of hunger at the Melbourne Football Club that there was last year. There's just a few little chinks that I think have been opening up. We've, we've heard uh, the the that's getting into Bailey Fritch about his uh, lack of peripheral vision and, and burning several of his teammates that are in better position to score. You've got the Luke, uh, Luke Jackson situation going on. He's clearly not going to be playing for Melbourne again next year. I think that's quite clear. And this, in fact, could be called the, the Luke Jackson Cup, this game. Uh, and, and also a few question marks against around a couple of other Melbourne players who feel that they're not being played in their right position and so on and so forth. Then, of course, we had the, the brouhaha between players with uh, Stephen May and so on being involved. I just wonder whether the chemistry's taken a bit of a hit there at uh, Melbourne uh, this season. They might have got just a little bit ahead of themselves. Uh, and uh, I I think that Fremantle will be just sitting there rubbing their hands together, waiting for them to arrive, and I expect the Fremantle to win, and I expect Fremantle to win pretty comfortably, actually.
3: I think, Mark, you're pretty well spot on with your assessment of Melbourne, but I think most of the uh, other Premiership contenders are looking at the Demons and going, if they galvanise themselves and they come good they've still got time to do that, then they still could be a really scary prospect come finals time. Uh, They will want to turn it around pretty quick, smart, and they will see this as an opportunity. Fremantle's form has been a bit hot and cold too. So it's a really hard game to tip. But, yes, look, you'd think on form, Melbourne's form has been so poor recently, Fremantle should win.
1: Yeah, I'm... I think Melbourne. Uh, there's still time for them to come good. I, I'm not writing them off by any stretch of the imagine, uh, imagination. But one thing we do know is they've been easy to score against the past nine or ten weeks. That has been uh, certainly the the, the case. Um, but for, the problem for Fremantle is they don't have. I don't think enough forward craft. I suppose they don't score enough. Um, which means that even if they might be dominating a particular game, they don't get far enough in front to make them safe. And I don't think they can kick big enough scores um, against the good team. So we'll certainly see. I think they can definitely win this week, but um, I'm not sure that they're the the real deal. I think they're more a, a bottom half of the eight team rather than a top half of the eight team.
2: And the final topic, for tonight, lads, as we focus our attention on the match of the round, which, of course, is Geelong versus the Western Bulldogs. 30 seconds each as to why the Cats will prevail. Mark Browning?
3: Well, this is this has got a game with a great history, Geelong versus the Bulldogs. Um, if you go back through the fi- all the finals that they play and all the crunch games, pretty much every time Geelong wins. They find a way to win. We saw that last year with Gary Rowans after the siren goal. The doggies will take it right up to them, but Geelong will, because it's the Bulldogs, Geelong will find a way to win.
2: (laughs) Mark Brown, Brunga.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to one battle on Saturday night, and I reckon this will be worth the price of admission alone. And that is the battle between Tom Atkins and Tom Liberatore in the centre of the ground. I reckon you are going to see two uh, players who as hard as cat's heads just go flat out at each other and try and get their team into the game. And I reckon that'll be the battle of the night. But I suppose it's whether the defence of the Western Bulldogs have the answers for Geelong's uh, much vaunted forward line. But the same can also be said for the other side of the coin in, in that uh, we've got Norton up there, we've got Bruce up there, we've got Hugo Hagen up there now who arrived uh, in AFL football last Saturday night. So uh, they certainly will keep the Geelong back half uh, with the return of uh, Tom Stewart, thankfully. Uh, they'll certainly be keeping the uh, Geelong uh, back line very, very busy, but I do expect the Cats to come
2: out on top. And the final word with... Super coach himself, Anthony Petkovic.
1: Uh, is the key here. You know exactly what we're going to get from Geelong. The die is cast. The Bulldogs this year have been a box of chocolates. It's just been all over the shop. They play like the Harlem Globetrotters. Sometimes it comes off. Sometimes it doesn't come off. Um, I think Geelong can give them a bit of a pasting.
2: Gentlemen, thank you so much for your contribution to the Cats Whiskers this week. Mark Browning, Mark Brunger, Anthony Petkovic, First class, as always, to our faithful listeners, we trust you've enjoyed the program and we look forward to you joining us again next week.